Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. So, I've got some things I want to share with you from God's Word today. And uh, we're going to share some uh, a Christmas message. Is that okay? Is that all right to share a Christmas message the Sunday before Christmas? Well, you see... It, Christmas is so much more than, uh, you know, just a, um, a few Christmas songs and, and, and a Christmas tree and exchanging some gifts. And, uh, you know, it is, a, it is the greatest celebration and ought to be the greatest celebration because Christmas marks the time when, which... Um, now, you might say, well, I, I thought Easter was. Well, I would have to agree with you on that. But, I, you know, without Christmas, there, was, there is no Easter. You know, without, uh, uh, and, and without Easter, Christmas is meaningless, right? Okay? So we've got to have both. All right, so we're going to be talking about Christmas today. And, uh, um, you know, the word Christmas actually... Uh, could be, you know, the, the original thing was, you know, uh, well, let's just say holidays. Holiday originally was Holy Day. And uh, Christmas was Christ's Mass, or a Mass for Christ. And, that, and you know, I know that we don't refer to our, our Sunday morning opportunities as, as Mass around here, but, uh, uh, you know, from the... Uh, from the Catholic tradition, it's referred to as a as a mass, and uh, so anyway, therefore, Chris Mass or Christ's Mass, it is in His honor, and actually, every Sunday that we come together is Christ's Mass. Praise God, and so we do it to honor Him, but. Uh, you know, I'm just entitling this today as why. And, uh, you know, sometimes we ask the question, why this, why that, why, uh, you know, why did God do it this way, why did he do it that way? And last week we got into some of this stuff, and I, and I talked to you about why Jesus had to be born, why he had to be born of a virgin, why, you know, and, and, and talked about some of those things. But we're going to look into, you know, I... I uh, invited uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, invited Kent Evans up on the stage, and he had something on his heart, and he, he asked you uh, to take some time and read through the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, I, you know, I trust that, uh, that you did that, and it's not too late. You can still get it done, you know. It, it'll just take you longer in one in a couple of sessions than it would have taken you in 24 sessions but uh, uh, but anyway um, read through the gospel of Luke and you know in the in the second chapter of Luke we always had a tradition around our house that uh, uh, every Christmas morning we read the second chapter the, the Christmas story from the second chapter of Luke, not, not the entire chapter, but the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. And, uh, you know, as my kids were growing up, it was always their goal, or, or, or they looked forward to, let me say it this way, they looked forward to learning to read so they could read the Christmas story. 
And, uh, you know, my uh, uh, daughter is, is four years younger than Jason. And so for, for a few years there that uh, Jason could read the Christmas story and she couldn't read it yet. And so she could not wait until she could read the Christmas story. And so, you know, she was, she was sure to remind us that this year I can read now. And so uh, she would read the, the Christmas story from Luke, and that was a, uh, uh, an exciting thing for them. And, uh, you know, those are kind of traditions that uh, I encourage, if you don't have some traditions like that, start some. Praise God. It's, you know, it's never too late to start a tradition. And, uh, you know, we sometimes give tradition, the, the word tradition, we give it a bad name or a bad connotation. But really, tradition is not a bad thing unless tradition interferes with or, or supersedes the Word of God. And, and uh, then traditions become uh, a, a bad thing. But godly traditions and good traditions, you know, those are good things. And, uh, uh, you know, you need to have some of those in your family. But I want to begin to answer some of the questions, and I'm not going to read through uh, the Christmas story this morning. I want you to do that on your own, okay? And uh, in Luke, the second chapter, in fact, you can go back to, to Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, the first chapter there, and read read through that and, and uh, as well, but there are some things that are mentioned that you may be asking why. So I'm going to tell you why this morning, and then when you read through it, you'll know why, praise God. You'll see it and you'll know why. Um, but first of all, it, it begins like this, you know, it, it wasn't in the days of Caesar Augustus that uh, a, a decree went out from Caesar that... Uh, all the world should be taxed. Now, that word taxed there, uh, it was really not a taxation. Now, there may have been some taxing taking place there as well, but really what he was, uh, it, it should be that there was a census that was taken. And uh, now, why is that an important detail? It, because it explains some things to us. If we understand what was happening at that time in history, it explains some things to us. And uh, one of the things that was happening is that uh, uh, Caesar had uh, issued a decree that all of the world, now that was all of the known world at that time, uh, which was under the control of the Roman Empire, and uh, there was the decree that all the world should be uh, taxed, or really it should say counted, or a census taken. They wanted to know how many people there were in their kingdom. And uh, I don't know, that was probably an ego thing on, on the part of, uh, of Caesar Augustus, but he, you know, he wanted to know that there are this many people that are my subjects in, in uh, my empire. And so the the decree was that each one was to return to his home city where he was born and raised and you know he had to return there and so it happened that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David of King David and the city of David was Bethlehem and so in the wisdom of God how many know that sometimes God uses man-made rules and laws to get his job done? You know, and that's what he did here. He used, uh, he used Caesar Augustus. Well, in fact, uh, let me just give you a great example of what I'm talking about. The Bible says that had the rulers of this age known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God used what man meant for evil to destroy and to get rid of Jesus, God used it to get Jesus on the cross so that he could die on the cross and pay for your sins and then rise from the dead so that you could have eternal life and so that you could become uh, uh, the body 
of Christ or the embodiment of the anointing. And while God was in, in the body of one person in, that could be at one place at one time, God is embodying Jesus. Yet when Jesus rose from the dead, God was able to consequently move on the inside of you and I, and now it's no longer one person in one place at one time, but now the earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. So the wisdom of God used what man wanted to do, and he turned it. Man had no idea. when. Uh, that's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians, if the rulers of this age had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had known what they were doing, the, you know, the devil had a plan and he was going to get rid of Jesus and he didn't know that what he was doing was contributing to the plan of God that was going to mean his destruction. <laughs> Hallelujah. God always outsmarts the enemy. Hallelujah. Praise God. And... Um, but he used this senses, he used Caesar Augustus, used his ego to get Jesus born in Bethlehem. And not only that, but to draw worldwide attention. Because there were people from all over the place that were from Bethlehem that all of them had to go back to Bethlehem for the census. And so they were there, and some people may say, well, okay, I have another question. Why did Jesus have to be born in a stable? And, and there are a lot of religious people that want you to think that Jesus was born in a stable because his family was poor. But they didn't read the text. The text says that he was born in, and laid in a manger because... There was no room for them in the inn. It wasn't an issue that, that uh, they couldn't afford room in the inn. There wasn't a room in the inn. There wasn't a room to be had. There was no room in the inn. Praise God. And so Jesus was born in a stable. Now, why did God want him to be born in a stable? You know, I mean, surely if God had wanted him to have a room at the Holiday Inn, he, he could have had a room at the Holiday Inn. But God wanted him born in a stable, but it wasn't about poverty. Now, let, let me just say something about poverty. The Bible says we know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was poor, or though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. So it wasn't that God wanted Jesus to be uh, poor, that he was born in a stable, and, and that wasn't the poverty that he was. So when did Jesus become poor so that you could become rich? He became poor so that you could become rich when he exited. I mean, by comparison, think about this. When Jesus exited heaven, now the best we have on this earth is poor compared to what is in heaven. Praise God. And furthermore, when Jesus went to the cross, they, they even, as a way of shaming him, they even stripped him naked on the cross. So he went to the cross and they took his clothes. So he had nothing when he was hanging on the cross. And he became poor, not when he was born in the stable in Bethlehem, but he became poor when he went to the cross and he laid down absolutely everything if he hadn't already laid down enough just by coming to this earth. Praise God. He became poor and he did it so that you, through his poverty, now, now don't get this wrong. It's not so that you, through his poverty, might have an example to follow. Well, Jesus was poor, so we're supposed to be poor. You know, you've missed the whole point if, if that's what you're thinking. He became poor so that you, as a result of his becoming poor, could become rich. Praise God. Now, 
Get this. Why, he, he's born in a stable, but there's a reason he needed to be born in a stable, and it wasn't about poverty. He needed to be born in a stable because it made a statement as to who Jesus was. Praise God. Now, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. First of all, let me point this out. Why did he be born in Bethlehem? Bethlehem was important in this. And it wasn't just because, you know, that's where Joseph was from. And uh, he needed to be born in Bethlehem for a couple of reasons. First of all, Bethlehem was the city of David, King David. Jesus had a right to the throne because, now, 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 I understand this. I've heard some say Joseph was his earthly father. Joseph was not his earthly father. He didn't have an earthly father. Joseph raised him. Joseph stepped in and raised him, but Jesus' father was God, and he didn't have an earthly father. And when we say that, we imply that Jesus was not really born of a virgin. And I talked to you last week about why he needed to be born of a virgin. I'm not going through that again this week. Okay? You can thank me now. Uh, you know, we could take time and do that, but, uh, but we're not going to. But Jesus had to be born of a virgin. And because Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Joseph was of the household of David, which put Jesus in line for the throne of David. However, Jesus didn't come for the throne of David on this earth. He came for a greater throne, praise God. And he's going to come back to this earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God. And so we need to understand that Jesus, he needed to be born in Bethlehem because of the house and lineage of King David. But he also needed to be born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem means house of bread. And what did Jesus say? Let me just give you some scriptures here. John chapter 6, verse number 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse number 48, I am the bread of life. Verse number 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will, never, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Praise God. Now, Jesus came as the bread of life. And he said in John the 6th chapter, he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now, he wasn't talking about that you literally eat his flesh and drink his blood. You know, and when we partake of the communion table, it symbolizes the bread and the, uh, you know, the body and the blood of Jesus. But it's not actually the body and blood of Jesus. It symbolizes it. This is why I say to you when you partake of the communion table that it, you know, this is, there's no power in this little cracker. There's no power in this little cup of juice because that's all they are except for the fact that they remind you that Jesus' body was broken for your body so your body could be healthy and whole. Praise God. And that his blood was shed for you for the remission of sins. And it is the power that is in the reminder of what you are partaking of. Jesus had to come to the house of bread because he was the bread of life, the living bread. Now, remember when Jesus went into the wilderness and was tempted there of, of, of the devil for, for 40 days and it says that when those days had ended, Satan came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. 
Now, when we see stones in the Bible, they are symbolic many times of the law and the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments, which was written and engraved on stones. And so notice what he said. He said that uh, when, when uh, if you be the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. Do you know that the stones symbolizing the law, the law can never become bread for you. The law was never intended to give you life. Good place to say amen. Okay? The the law was never intended to give you life. And Satan said, if you're the son of God, then command these stones to be turned into bread. And Jesus knew that stones could never be turned into bread. That stones could never, now I'm not talking about physical stones here. I'm talking about, you know, what they represent. You know, if Jesus the creator could have turned a physical stone into physical bread. But he, he is saying that that physical or, or that what the, is symbolized by these stones, and notice he used the word stones, plural, because the the stone tablets, there were two tablets of stones, and God wrote on tablets of stones, he wrote on there twice because Moses broke uh, the first ones. And so he, he, he says these stones turned them into bread, but the law can never give you life and was never intended to give you life. Jesus is the bread that gives you life. Praise God. And he said the stones can't be turned into bread. And so Jesus was born in the house of bread, the city of Bethlehem. Now, in the city of Bethlehem, people from all over the known world are there, so there is no room in the inn. So they find shelter because Mary is about to give birth to Jesus. And they find shelter in a stable where animals are kept. Now, what kind of animals were predominantly raised in that part of the world? You might say camels, but that's the wrong answer, okay? There, you know, yes, there were camels, there were goats. Jesus wasn't a camel or a goat, but he is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Praise God. And he came into this world as the lamb of God. Where would you expect a lamb to be born? A stable. Praise God. And so he was born in a stable, and, and on the hills outside of Bethlehem that night, there were shepherds that were watching over their flocks that night. Praise God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, I bring you good tidings of great joy that shall be to all peoples in in the city of David, there is born to you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, the manger was a feeding trough. And because that was readily available, Jesus, the newborn baby, was laid in a manger, the feeding trough, but he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And you might ask, what, what are swaddling clothes? Well, there, I, I found some different things in my research on this. And one of the things was that babies were wrapped in, in strips of cloth. Now, you can, uh, you can decide which one of these you believe is correct, but they, uh, you know, both of them both of them have a powerful message, so we're just going to say both of them are right, okay? And uh, because I was unable to confirm which one of them was actually accurate, in fact, it's possible that both of them are accurate, okay? And so, anyway, Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth that they wrapped around, and it is my understanding that that was a common practice in that part of the world at that time. In fact, they still do it today to a, in a certain way. They wrap babies in a blanket, wrap them very tightly. 
And, but it was, it was commonly done in that day that they would wrap babies with strips of cloth. Now, a couple of things. It was, it was a common thing. Secondly, it was something that uh, uh, some say that it symbolized the grave clothes that he would later be wrapped in. Okay? And, and that's, you know, possibly it is. And, uh, you know, and if it says that to you, then receive that from, uh, as a word from the Lord that, uh, uh, you know, Jesus being wrapped in swaddling clothes spoke of his death, which he certainly was born for that, that time. And he was wrapped in, in grave clothes. But then the other thing is that they would wrap a, a baby in swaddling clothes or strips of cloth and, and bind them tightly because they believed that it would make their limbs grow straight and that sort of thing. Now think about this. Lambs in, in this area, it, it is said that lambs were raised for the Passover, that lambs were, were born and they were raised to be offered as sacrifices. And so the lamb that was offered for a sacrifice had to be a perfect lamb without blemish. And so therefore, they said they would wrap the lamb's legs with these strips of cloth to make sure that they stayed straight and perfect so they would qualify as a sacrifice lamb. And so therefore, when the angels appeared on, uh, to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem on the hills there and made this statement, you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, why did they need to proclaim that? You know, there had to be some reason why they had to say that. You know, there are no wasted details in the Bible. And so if the, the, the angels made that statement to the shepherds, it meant something to the shepherds. And so they went and they found the babe lying in a manger. And you see, the, the angel said he would be wrapped in swaddling clothes. They understood what that meant. They understood when they see Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they understood the, the uh, implication that this is the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Now, as Mary finds out that she is pregnant with, with Jesus, just before that, Mary's relative, the scripture says relative, and there's some discussion about what relation that she actually was. Some say cousin, but others... Uh, uh, you know, say, well, no, it wasn't a cousin, and they dispute about what relationship that Elizabeth was to Mary. But uh, regardless, the Scripture does say that, that Elizabeth and Mary were related. Now, who is Elizabeth? At that time, there was a priest by the name of Zacharias, and Elizabeth is married to Zacharias, and they're old. Now, we've heard this story before. Remember Abraham and Sarah? How that Sarah was past childbearing years. Abraham was beyond the, the age to, to father children. And yet, but now we find this story kind of repeating itself in that Zacharias is too old to be fathering children. Elizabeth is too old to be bearing children. And yet, Elizabeth becomes pregnant with a child, and the name of that child was John the Baptist. And so uh, Zacharias goes into the, um, the, the holy place to offer the sacrifices, and 
He's in there. He's supposed to be in there by himself. And so, uh, you know, because no one could go in there or they would die. But all of a sudden, there's somebody standing on the right side of the altar. And uh, kind of shakes Zacharias up a little bit because, hey, what are you doing in here? And how is it that you're in here and you're alive? And uh, so anyway, this, uh, they're standing there on the right side of the altar, the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord begins to talk to Zacharias and he begins to tell him, you know, that your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son. And, uh, you know, Zacharias is saying, well, that can't be and, uh, because we're, we're both too old. And, and so, you know, that, that's not even possible. And so uh, the angel gives, says, I'm going to give you a sign. You're going to become mute until the baby's born. In other words, you got to shut your mouth because your words are messing this thing up. And so uh, I'm going to shut your mouth for you because we're not going to let your words mess this thing up. Praise God. So uh, Zacharias' mouth was shut and he, he became mute until the time that John the Baptist was born. But in the meantime, Mary, she's pregnant with Jesus and she finds out that Elizabeth is with child, and so she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth. And when she comes in to, to visit with Elizabeth, um, you know, they, they greet one another, and the moment that, she, that they greeted one another, the babe, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy, and the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from, at that moment. And so um, here we have, you know, I'm telling you, if there is not a stronger word in Scripture to tell you that babies in the womb are living children, then, uh, you know, there it is right there, and there, there's nothing strong to prove that. But John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb uh, and uh, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and John the Baptist plays a very important role because remember, John the Baptist's father is Zacharias the priest and there is a priestly lineage. It is uh, something that if you're not of the priestly lineage, you don't become a priest. And so of the priestly lineage, then that means that John the Baptist was of the priestly lineage. So he, he was a, uh, because of his lineage, he was a priest. And John the Baptist went preaching out in the wilderness, and he was like a wild man, uh, if you read the description of John the Baptist. But he's, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, and, and he's baptizing them with a baptism of repentance. And we talked extensively uh, a few weeks ago about what the baptism of repentance was, that they should change their mind and believe on him who was to come. John was pointing them to Jesus is what he was doing. He was preparing the way of the Lord, and he was pointing people to Jesus, saying You're gonna, you need to follow the one that's coming after me. You need to change your mind and quit putting your trust in your ability to keep the law, and you need to follow the one that is coming after me. And John the Baptist is qualified as the priest, and he makes a handoff that day, and he handed off to Jesus because he sees Jesus coming, and he, he points at him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb, born in a manger, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And uh, so... Anyway, he points people to Jesus, and then John makes this famous statement. He says, I must decrease, but he must increase. And what he was talking about was the fact that the law was passing away, and there is coming something new. In fact, the name John actually means grace. And he's saying, I am pointing you to him because he is grace, I represent the law as the last priest 
of the Levitical priesthood. And he's saying, there is coming one after me that he's going to be a priest according to the order of Melchizedek, with meaning that he doesn't have beginning or end, father or mother. He has no lineage, but he is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek by the power, the scripture says, of an endless life. Hallelujah. And John the Baptist points to him and he says, you guys that are here listening to me, he's here. Now you go follow him and I must decrease. I am getting out of the picture here and you need to follow him. He is grace. Praise God. Praise God. He is the personification of grace. John introduced us to grace, but Jesus is the personification of grace. Praise God. Now, let's look at this. And I just got rolling there, and I kind of forgot where I was. But, um, you know, I, I want you to understand that Jesus came to step in, and he said this. He, he wanted John to baptize him. Now, John was baptizing people for the remission of sins, but it really wasn't the baptism that was the remission of sins. It was that he was pointing them to Jesus for the remission of sins. Praise God. And so Jesus wanted to be baptized, but Jesus didn't have any sin to remit, right? Praise God. But Jesus became sin for us. The Bible says he became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus became our sin, and then he buried the sin. He took our sin to the grave and disposed of it, and then he rose again from the dead without it. Hallelujah. And that's the best news you've heard all day. Hallelujah. That Jesus... He became sin. When Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River that day, he was symbolizing the fact that he was going to take our sins to the grave, bury it, and rise again. And when he rose again, there came a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, that statement was repeated again when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice came from heaven again and said, This is my beloved son, hear him. Now, who else was on the Mount of Transfiguration? There was Peter, James, and John that were there with Jesus. And then they saw him that, that there appeared Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah appeared on the mountain. Moses and Elijah were long, were long dead, so, so the disciples were actually seeing a vision that day. And what they saw is Moses and Elijah, and Mo, these two individuals are very important because Moses is the law, because the law came through Moses. Elijah is the prophets. And all of the uh, all of the prophets spoke of Jesus. In fact, uh, you know, the, there's, there's two passages of Scripture really that, that say this uh, very specifically. But when uh, Nathaniel came to Jesus, you know, this, the, he went and found his brother and, and, and his brother came, you know, and uh, he said to him, he said, we, I have, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. So Moses and all the prophets, they wrote about Jesus. So that tells me that from Genesis all the way through, it's about Jesus. Praise God. And then, furthermore, when Jesus was risen from the dead, he found some of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he approached them, and he began to talk to them. Uh, and and uh, they didn't know that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so he, he is uh, approaching them, and they don't recognize him, and he starts to talk with them. And the Bible says that he opened the Scripture. 
ministers to them and began to share with them the things concerning himself from Moses and the prophets. So Moses and the prophets wrote about Jesus. And so um, here we see Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So the law is there. The prophets are there who spoke of Jesus, and now Jesus is there. So up until that time, the people had the scriptures. They had the scriptures of Moses, and they had the scriptures of the prophets. But now Jesus is here, and the voice comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. He didn't say, Hear them. He said, Hear him. In other words, switch your attention from the law to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist said, I am bringing an end. I am the, the last of the Levitical priesthood, and I am ushering in a new era in which will be grace. I am ushering this in. Now you need to go follow him. And that's what the voice from heaven said that day. Don't be following them anymore. Be following him, praise God, be following Jesus. Why? Because the law can never take away your sin, but the blood of Jesus did. Hallelujah. And Jesus, you know, when, when he was born, sometime later, and we don't know exactly how much later, but the Bible says that there came wise men or kings from the east. And they came and they had seen his star in the east and they came to worship him. And that's what they went and told King Herod. And so they're, they're telling Herod this, we've come to worship him. And Herod gets all upset about it because he thinks a king has risen that's going to challenge him for the throne. So Herod's all upset about this. And so Herod comes up with a scheme. Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'll, I'll send them. I'll point them in the right direction. He consults his consultants, and he finds out that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And so he sends them on their way, and he says, when you found him, you come back and tell me so I can go worship him too. That really wasn't his plan. Herod's plan was so I can go destroy him because he's planning on, uh, you know, this is a, a, a new king that has arisen to challenge me for the throne. And so he's going to get rid of him. And when they don't, when they're warned by the Lord to return another way and go home another way and not to return to Herod, and so Herod gets really upset and he begins to go and, and, and murder all of the unborn, or, or not unborn, but murder all of the newborn sons that are born. And, uh, you know, but... Uh, anyway, these wise men, they came and they said, we have seen his star in the east. Now, why a star? Why did God, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, why, why did he put a star in the sky and call it his star, Jesus' star? Praise God. And so, um, why did he do that? Well, Jesus came into the world as the... I, I thought somebody would complete that for me. <laughs> Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. The star was light. And Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. In fact, he said, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. You know, John, John made that statement in John chapter, uh, chapter 9. It says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Um, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 16, it says this, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. John chapter 8 Verse number 12 says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, in John chapter 9, Jesus had just opened the eyes of a, 
uh, of a blind man here, and he says, I, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because, and then notice what he said. He does, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because the light is in him. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to be the light in you. Not just the star in the heavens, but I'm going to be the light in you. Praise God. And you have light on the inside, and if you will walk according to the light that is in you, you won't stumble. And I assure you of this. You know, I, I heard a man many, uh, many years ago, a man by the name of Norval Hayes. Norval Hayes was a minister of the gospel, but he was, uh, but he was also, he, before he became a minister, he was also a very successful businessman and continued to be a successful businessman even after he uh, became a minister. Uh, he continued to be a very successful businessman. And Norval Hayes made this statement one time. He said, he said, I have never, he said, every time I have ever asked the Lord's direction and followed the Lord's direction on a business deal, I have never lost money, never. He said, now, I'd like to tell you that I always follow the Lord, but he said, uh, you know, but that wouldn't be true. He said, but every time I did, I have never lost money. Now, the reason I said that is because there was a light in him. And when he followed that light, he didn't walk in darkness. Darkness means that you're bumping around and stumbling around and running over things and hoping you find the right way. But that's not how God has intended for us to live our lives. He put a light on the inside of us to guide us. And when we follow that light that is in us, we will not stumble because we won't be walking in darkness. Praise God. But Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. But then he said, if anyone uh, walks in the day, he does not stumble because the light is in him. But then Jesus also said this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world. Wow. You are the light of the world. Now, why, why is that important? You see, many people, if you ask most Christians, who's the light of the world? Oh, Jesus is the light of the world. In fact, we sing songs, Jesus is the light of the world, you know. But Jesus after he rose from the dead, is never again called the light of the world. I mean, you, you can go, he's never again. After that time, he's never again referred to as the light of the world because he said, now you are the light of the world. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Because he came as the light he showed us the way. In fact, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not, not light, life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. But then Jesus went to the cross and he rose again. And now you are the light of the world. Why? Because Jesus went back to heaven. So if Jesus is the light of the world, then this world's a dark place, right? But he's called you out of darkness to be the light. Now the light is in you. And Jesus said that no one lights a candle and hides it under a bushel. He says, you are the light. A city that's set on a hill, it can't be hidden. Why? Because it's the light. And men are drawn to the light just as the wise men followed the star, just as they followed the light. Wise men will still follow the light. Praise God. Praise God. One day, you saw the light, and you followed the light. Praise God. And Jesus has said, you should be the light of the world now. Praise God. Praise God. Then furthermore, why did these wise men, when they, brought, when they came to see Jesus, it says that they brought to him gifts. Now, they didn't come in Bethlehem. Uh, or, or perhaps Bethel, they didn't come to the, to the stable because this, they came sometime later. In fact, we can estimate 
although we're not told exactly how, how long it was after the birth that these wise men came, but uh, uh, these wise men, uh, apparently sometime later, because Herod, uh, he searched out to find out what time this king was to be born, and then he said, uh, uh, you know, he, he ordered that all of the baby boys two years of age and younger to be, to be killed. So he's, he, he's thinking, all right, he's under two. And so that, that's about as close as we can, can get to, to knowing what his actual age was at this time. But when they came, it says that Mary and the child were in the house. So they, they weren't in the stable anymore. They, they found them in the house. And the star led them and, over the, and stood over the place where the child and his mother were. And they came in and they opened their treasure and they offered gifts. And the gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, because first of all, Kings don't go visit other kings without gifts. And these, they came to visit a king, a newborn king. So it was only right that they bring gold because that was a gift that was fitting for a king. And they came and they offered gold. Then they offered Frankincense, gold spoke of his, his royalty, which, by the way, Peter later wrote, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Praise God. You are a royal priesthood. Why are you a royal priesthood? Because you are in the king. You get that? You are in the king, and you are kings and priests along with him. Hallelujah. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. Praise God. But frankincense speaks of his divinity because this was a, a, uh, an incense that was burned in the holy place, in the tabernacle, in the, in the, in the presence of, of God. This was an incense that was burned. So it spoke of his divinity. And then the last one was myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh was embalming fluid, or so we would say. It was uh, for anointing dead bodies. So there we see that he came as a king. He was God, but he came to die. And he came to die so that you and I would not ever, ever have to suffer what the Bible calls the second death. You see, we were, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but he has made us alive never to die again. Now, there'll be a physical death one day, but you will never die the second death, the separation from God. Once you have received Jesus as your Savior, you become spiritually immortal, meaning that you will never, ever be separated from God again. So don't worry about it. You're not going to be separated from God ever again. Once you come to him, he will in no wise, in no way cast you out. You will never, ever again be separated from God. Praise God. And that is the wise of the Christmas story. Praise God. So when you 
when you read, when you, when you see the things. I, I did a, a, a message sometime back called the symbols of Christmas, and I went through all the things like the, you know, the, the Christmas tree spoke of the tree that he was to, to die on and, the, uh, you know, and all the, the symbols of Christmas and what they would remind us of. Well, I encourage you to take some time and meditate and let God speak to you about the things that you see around you. Praise God. And so begin to, to look at those things, and he'll start to talk to you about those and begin to show you truth. And, you know, and maybe you already knew everything that I said today, but it's all right for you to hear it again, right? Praise God. It's all right for you to, for, for it, because faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. Praise God. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Now, I know that some translations of the Bible say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But literally the word God, there should be Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It didn't mean the words that Christ said. It meant words about Christ. Words about the Christ and what the Christ means to you and what the Christ has done for you and what, what it means to be in Christ. Praise God. And the more you hear about the Christ, the more faith begins to grow in your heart. Faith comes by hearing. So make sure you're hearing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're here today, if you're watching me online, you have never received God's greatest gift. You have never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been bumping around in the dark hoping to find a way. But Jesus came as the light. He is the light. And he wants to be the light in you so that you can become the light of the world. Praise God. He wants to be in you. Not just, not just uh, you know, keeping you company. But he wants to be the light in you. Praise God. How can that happen? It can happen because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the instant you choose Jesus, he moves on the inside of you and becomes what John the ninth chapter says because the light is in you. The light moves on the inside of you, and you will never be in darkness again. Praise God. You will never be separated from God again. Praise God. You will never have to worry about dying the second death. You will never have to worry about eternal separation from God because once you are joined to the Lord, hallelujah, you become one with him. Hallelujah. And he becomes in you the light in you and the life in you. Praise God. And it's very simple. And I want you to just pray this prayer with me. In fact, I want everyone that's hearing me today, whether you're in this room or whether you're hearing me online, everyone that's hearing me today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And if you pray this for the very first time and you mean what you're saying, and nothing happens if you don't mean it, but if you mean what you're saying, then according to God's word, you will be saved. Praise God. It is that simple. And it's going to take us about probably 10 to 15 seconds. And you can become a new creature in Christ. Hallelujah. So let's pray this together. Say, God in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be born in a stable the Lamb of God to take away my sins. That he went to the cross and he died there. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. And I choose him today to be my personal Lord and Savior. I invite you, Jesus, into my life. I choose Jesus. Thank you, Jesus saving me. Amen.
Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love with you.